Welcome to HRI's Next in Health podcast. I'm Trina Sideros. I lead PwC's Health Research Institute. I also lead PwC's Business Insights Sectors team, which publishes thought leadership on everything from health to private equity to mining to telecommunications. And I'm Igor Belakronitsky, a principal with Strategy and PwC's strategy arm. So Igor, I think today let's talk about some of the changes to the ways that consumers access care due to the pandemic, to the last year and a half or so that we've all lived through. What brings this up for me is is two things. One, HRI did a survey of consumers during the pandemic in which we asked them all sorts of questions about how they're accessing care, what they're interested in, their attitudes about ways that they would like to access care. And I'm also reading this book by medical historian Dr. Nancy Toms, Remaking the American Patient, How a Madison Avenue and Modern Medicine Turned Patients into Consumers. And this book is the kind of book that has a wow moment on every page, at least for me. And one of the things that really surprised me is that this concept of patients as consumers is not new at all. I thought this was kind of a new modern concept to think of patients as consumers. But Dr. Toms wrote in her book and talks a lot about how actually this concept can be dated back to the 1920s and earlier. And so this idea of patients as consumers consuming healthcare is a really old idea in the United States. And fast forwarding to today, to the pandemic, and how that's really evolved quickly over the last year and a half, I think we come up with some really interesting thoughts and ideas about where healthcare is headed. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And I think I'll just start off by looking at the fact that consumers are really bullish about receiving more of their care at home. No matter what you ask consumers right now in the U.S. about where they want to receive care, large percentages say that they would like to get it at home if possible. And I wonder, Igor, does this surprise you? What do you think about that? What Trina, as you said, for a lot of these trends, we can look to the past as well as to the future. And the idea of a house call, the idea of a house visit by a clinician is not a new one. And we have now reoriented ourselves and refocused ourselves towards the home as much more of a hub for everything that we do. So you wouldn't expect healthcare to be any exception to that. And so when our Health Research Institute colleagues asked the consumers whether they would be willing to have a clinician visit their home to take care of them, 75% of the consumers that we've talked to would be happy to have a clinician visit for a wellness visit or a physical, 77% for a visit when they're sick or injured, and 78% would welcome a clinician coming to take care of them for chronic care need. So essentially two-thirds of consumers open to house visit from a clinician. And the key word here to notice also is clinician as opposed to just physician. So a variety of extenders, nurses, and other clinical practitioners potentially included as coming in and taking care of us in our homes, provided, of course, that we can actually find enough of those clinicians to take care of us, which will be one of the future challenges we'll be tackling. 
I think also we've got the growth in diagnostics that can be done in the home. And I'm thinking a little bit about the COVID-19 tests that were authorized by the FDA that are DIY, do-it-at-home diagnostic tests. And we might see more of those going on. And we see that consumers are very willing to use those too and would like to see more of them. We also see technology being used to do things like look into children's ears using an otoscope that attaches to a smartphone that can beam images back to your doctor. And so I think what we're seeing is technology sort of allowing more of those house visits, either they're virtual or not virtual, happen. It's a return in some ways to that model that we saw you know, back in the 19th century, which is pretty extraordinary You know, if you think about how nothing is new, really. It's just a return of the old kind of aided by the new technology. That's right. And the other thing, of course, that is a blast from the past is if you look at, I believe it was popular mechanics in the 1920s, had these pictures of a clinician treating a patient remotely via a television screen and some scary looking manipulators that he was operating remotely. So what we are seeing is much more willingness from consumers to receive care virtually, to receive care remotely. In fact, so much willingness that it exceeds the expectations of healthcare executives. The healthcare executives actually seem to be more conservative on how much uptake there would be for virtual care once they made it available. Any thoughts on that, Trina? Yeah, I think this was one of the more interesting findings of our consumer survey. And then we did a a survey of provider executives. And like you said, consumers are more willing in most cases to receive services virtually than what providers are either thinking about providing or are comfortable with. So a good example of that is we found that 34% of consumers said that they were willing to receive the initial assessment of a condition virtually, whereas 10% of provider executives said that they believe virtual visits have been most effective for this service. So provider executives don't think that this is all that useful a way to use telehealth, whereas consumers, one out of three, think that it is. So we have kind of a disconnect there. Another disconnect, actually, kind of the flip side, if you look at mental and behavioral health, 17% of consumers told us that they were willing to receive that service virtually. Whereas if you ask provider executives, 29% are offering these services virtually in 2021. So a lot of providing of these services, mental health and behavioral health services by providers, but consumers are not universally interested in that. Some segments of consumers we know, if you kind of segment by age, younger consumers are far more interested in that. But if you look at consumers as a whole, you sort of have the flip side. I think that's a very interesting mismatch that's happening right now, whereas consumers are in a little bit of a different place when it comes to telehealth than providers when you kind of break down services like that. So I think one of the other things that we've seen is that beyond just what are people interested in doing, we also looked at what people actually went out and did during the pandemic. And I think we all have heard that folks were forced to try different ways of accessing care when we had the stay-at-home orders in the spring of 2020. And then a lot of fear kind of driving people from going into the emergency room or seeking care at the hospital, even their doctor's offices during other parts of the pandemic. And so what we found when we asked consumers about where they had gone to get care, we found that 13% told us they had used virtual visits for the first time during the pandemic. 
4% said that they had used urgent care for the first time during the pandemic. And another 4% said they had used retail clinics for the first time during the pandemic. So we had a use of these kinds of sites, these alternative sites for care for the first time during this relatively short period of time. I wonder, Igor, what do you think about that? Does that surprise you? And what should happen next? What do you do with all these new patients, new consumers? Oh, it is remarkable to see, Trina, as you say, almost 100% growth in virtual visits, 40% increase in the use of retail clinics, just in terms of consumers who have gone out and tried these new modalities of receiving care. And in places outside of healthcare, consumer behavior is studied very closely, including consumer behavior during these significant changes. There's a notion of behavior scarring, which is a change in behavior that sticks. And I think it's very interesting to see whether these behaviors will stick now that consumers have been exposed to the convenience that these new options offer to them. And I think there are two parts to it. Partly is, did the consumers have a good experience? Are they going to go back to that modality? But part of it is also the provider of care. And what steps are they taking to make sure that that virtual encounter, that encounter in the retail clinic, that encounter in the urgent care, it wasn't just a one-off, wasn't just, oh, this is a convenient thing that happens to you, that instead it was a first step in a relationship. It was a beginning of a beautiful friendship, as they say in Casablanca. So what is the provider of care doing to make that a sticky relationship? How are they capturing the necessary patient or consumer information? How are they learning more about that consumer's need? How are they making sure that they're engaging that consumer in a way that is culturally competent, in a way that's going to resonate with that consumer and build their trust? So the next time they do need help, they will use that same service again and will kind of continue on their health journey. So that will be, I think, the determining factor of whether the use of these additional services will continue to grow, stay the same, or shrink. I don't think it'll ever go back to the levels it was at prior to pandemic, but how quickly it grows, I think a lot of it is up to the providers and how user-friendly they make it. Igor, what about the other side of that? Um, the providers who maybe lost patients due to them trying out these other ways of accessing care, how do they win them back or do they win them back? What do you think about that? What we're increasingly seeing in the market, Trina, is most providers of care are playing or beginning to play in the virtual urgent and retail space. They know that more and more care will continue to move to the home and to the cloud and to retail. And unless they play in that space as well, somebody else will and somebody else will come and take their patients and their customers. So now it's certainly not as profitable to operate in those spaces but they really don't have a whole lot of choice here. And so what we're seeing is providers losing some in-person visits. They may be losing some encounters and hospitalizations and procedures, and they're getting replaced with virtual visits. But usually it's the same provider will look for a way to capture that visit as well and try to close the loop and bring the patient back to where their medical home is to create that longer term journey that builds retention, that builds engagement, and builds the lifetime value of that customer. And it is really a lot about changing the mindset 
from thinking about how do I optimize a certain encounter, a certain procedure, certain drug use, to how do I build that longer journey, that longer relationship that's valuable to the consumer and that's valuable to me as the provider. So it is a challenging transition. It is a necessary transition and it will not be very clear for a little while what the full impact of this is going to be because it's also not a zero-sum game. Sometimes a virtual visit replaces an in-person visit and sometimes it creates an in-person visit. Sometimes you do a virtual visit and you're told, look, for this particular issue, you really still need to come in and be seen in person. So now you have two visits instead of one. So still a lot to watch and observe and learn before we figure out what the net impact of this will be. It sounds like to me, too, that what we're seeing is new entrants that are waiting there and would be happy to sop up the patients that providers fail to capture if they don't do this, if they don't offer all these different channels. So the cost of not doing this is there are plenty of new entrants that would be happy to serve. And I think we've been seeing that happen for a while, this sort of entrance of these companies that are doing that. And we'll see that continue. So there's no real choice, I think, for a lot of providers. They're going to have to offer all these different channels. Is that right? Would you say? Or? Absolutely. Absolutely. The entry into the space will continue. The funding of the space will continue. But a lot of these new entrants are actually funded by the providers, by the incumbents. They come out of the incubators set up by these incumbents from the private equity funds set up by these providers. So it is the industry disrupting itself and looking for partners, looking for collaborations. There are some strange and interesting combinations of players that are emerging. And of course, as we start looking a lot more at healthcare through the consumer lens, one of the important things to remember is not all consumers are the same. We have significant differences in demographics, in preferences, in generations, in cultures and ethnicities. And that very much plays out in how people prefer to get healthcare, how people prefer to shop for it, how people prefer to pay for it, what is in their consideration set. So Trina, how are you thinking about the impact of various demographic factors on these trends that we're discussing? Yeah, I think that's one of the clear changes is thinking about consumers in this way that they, depending on your health status, your age, where you live, maybe your race and ethnicity, your gender, all of these things matter when it comes to the way that you want to access your care, to be treated, all of it. And understanding that is really important. And I think one great example is just where do you want to get vaccinated for COVID-19? We asked this in our consumer health survey that we did in September. So this was before the rollout of the vaccines. And we found that even something like this, and I think this has become very clear as the rollout of the vaccines has gone on, that different people have different preferences about this. But we found this back in September that if you look at it by, let's say, race and ethnicity, it's different where you want to get vaccinated by race. So we found that white consumers, the majority, 52%, said that they would rather have received the vaccine in a doctor's office. But that's not true of Black consumers or Latinx consumers. For Black consumers, just under 60% said that they would like to be vaccinated in a retail clinic, urgent care center, or pharmacy. And just a hair under 60% of Latinx consumers told us the same. 
The doctor's office was not the first preferred spot to be vaccinated for Black consumers and Latinx consumers. So that has big implications in terms of when you roll out a campaign, where do you focus? Who do you emphasize in terms of different kinds of places to get vaccinated and deliver the vaccine? The same holds true of age. If you break it down by age, it changes very much. Younger consumers are more interested in the retail clinic, urgent care center, or pharmacy to be vaccinated. Older would rather have it done in their doctor's office. And so I think you could just play this out for many, many decisions when it comes to accessing care, that there are lots of factors that go into where people would rather have their care delivered how they want it done, when, all of these things. And that understanding that is really key for providers and payers in terms of fine-tuning these kinds of services. And so I think that is a big part of this. Igor, I don't know if you have any other thoughts on it, but I think this is something we've been talking about at PwC for a long time. And we just see you know, continually more evidence for the importance of understanding this. Absolutely. To me, as I look at these numbers and try to make sense of them, one important variable stands out, which is, do you have a medical home? Do you have a relationship with a provider of care? That could be a primary care physician or primary care team in some cases that you engage with regularly. You have your physicals, you have your checkups, or perhaps if you're older, they're treating you for chronic illness or two. If you do, you might be more likely to also look to that relationship for things like vaccinations. But many people don't have those medical homes. Many people don't have that access to an interaction and a relationship with a primary care provider or some other kind of clinician. And so there, the retail clinics, the pharmacies and other players step up to fill that gap, to fill that niche and deliver that vital service. And so, again, going back to this notion of the future where we're thinking beyond just the front door to health and focusing on a longer journey and a relationship, a trusted relationship between a provider and a patient and a consumer, we will see more of those happening. And some of those will be with the pharmacist. Some of those will be through the retail clinic. Some of those will be virtual only where you might never meet your primary care team in person. The door is open for that. And we just need to be mindful of how we pass the people through the door. And so I think just sort of finally, let's talk a little bit about mental health. And I think this has been one of the sort of secondary pandemics that we've all experienced to some extent. And that is the deleterious effects on people's mental health over this past year and a half for lots of reasons, not just the COVID-19 pandemic, but also the economic fallout and all of the equity and social issues that have been brought up and really brought to the forefront. And so I think, you know, we've seen lots of evidence that 18 to 24 year olds have suffered a lot in terms of mental health. And also we know that they are more open than other age groups to non-traditional mental health services like telehealth, basically. So I wonder if you can talk a little bit, Igor, about this aspect of the pandemic, the mental health demand. I think we have a problem with supply of clinicians and services and where virtual health might fit in with all of that. So Trina, I see this as a positive sign of mental health issues becoming gradually more destigmatized in our society and it becoming more and more okay to talk about them and to ask for help and to accept help. And in particular, 
the fact that the younger generation is embracing and is relatively more open to asking for help, receiving help, in particular receiving it virtually, gives hope that we can start addressing this issue at a much greater scale. I think it also has some interesting implications for employers. We are in the midst of a massive talent war nationwide. We have labor shortages, difficulty hiring at all levels of experience. And so if you're an employer looking to create an attractive package to attract high-performing employees, you should be thinking about how well have you incorporated and embedded some of these mental health virtual services into your benefits package. So this is the new requirement. This might be the new table stakes to have an attractive value proposition for an 1824 workforce and highly relevant for us here at PwC. And this is certainly something that we're doing for our own workforce, a broad range of services that we offer around mental health, wellness, well-being. I think one of the pieces that popped out to me in terms of our survey is that younger people are far more willing to use these virtual services. So not just that video telehealth visit, but also emotional support apps, virtual support groups support via an online community. In every category, the 18 to 24-year-olds who are far more willing to use those or embrace those as options than if you average all the other age groups. And so I think that also points to maybe a little bit of an amelioration of the situation where we have a supply issue. If you can use virtual care to cover more people, That's a good thing with this sort of tidal wave of demand that I think many providers are seeing from, especially from the younger folks. So sort of a good development there in terms of allowing more people to be cared for in this period, at least. Absolutely. Trina, thanks for the conversation. It's interesting to see some of the old models like the house call coming back tried and true. And it is also encouraging to see us making progress, not just in areas of technology and clinical innovation, but also in learning to be more cognizant of our differences and more inclusive in our approaches. For more on these topics and other health industry insights driven by policy, innovation, and care delivery changes, please visit our website at pwc forward slash HRI. Until next time, this has been Next in Health.